Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We're going to be uh, looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 45 today. Uh, and before I pray for us, I do want to remind, I'm periodically reminding of some different resources and things you can do uh, just to help folks grow in their faith. Um, if you are newer, you may not know that uh, our congregation actually has a catechism. That's an ancient way of question and answer, learning the faith. And we have one, but ours actually has a lot of study materials with it and everything where you can actually read all the verses that are behind the question. We've actually even got songs that go with each particular question, uh, a lot of different study questions you can do. And if you look, uh, it's all interactive on the website. If you go to the website under teachings and resources, you can click on catechism. I actually, I had finished what I was doing for this year for my quiet time, so on Saturday, uh, yesterday, my, I shifted over and was just working back through the catechism again. Um, so it's got a lot of great study stuff and just a way to spend time with the Lord. So if you're looking for something to grow in your faith and you want to dig in, uh, I encourage you to take a look at the catechism out there. Just another resource to help us grow in our faith. With that, we're going to go ahead and pray and then dig into God's Word. Father, we humbly ask as we do each week that you would send your Holy Spirit, Lord, to speak to us today. Lord, there is nothing more important than hearing your word. And so, Lord, as uh, Jesus did in the very text we're looking at, he went off to pray. Lord, so we now take a moment and we pray and we ask that your spirit would come and that you would speak. Father, each and every person in this room and each of our kids upstairs are in a different place. But Lord, you know precisely where we are. So Lord, we ask that you would open your word to each of your children this morning, that they might hear and receive. Lord, if there's anyone here or listening online that does not know you, Father, I pray that you would open their eyes to the gospel. Lord, I pray that their hearts uh, would be open and responsive, that the gospel would spring to life and bear fruit in them. Father, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would be formed to be more like Jesus. Lord, may the things that move his heart move our hearts. May the things that consumed his passion and his time do the same for us so that we might be disciples. Lord, we pray for our children that your word would sink deep into their hearts. Lord, they're at the beginning of a life of discipleship. We are grateful, Father, for your covenant promises. We cling to them as parents and grandparents and just fellow members in this congregation. Lord, we pray that the faith would prosper in this rising generation, that they would know and love and serve you every day of their lives. Lord, we lay all of this before you, and we ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, we're going to be digging into Mark chapter 1. Today we're going to go from verse 35 to 45. So we are actually going to be finishing the first chapter of Mark's gospel. After uh, starting all the way back in early September, uh, we're going to be looking today at these 10 verses. They're going to be on the screen and they're in your booklet and you can follow along as well. So hear now the word of the sovereign living God. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. You caught that. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A number of years ago, it was back in the 1960s, a man named Charles Hummel wrote a small uh, booklet that was called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And you may have heard this, it, it later on kind of got adapted into a thing of a quadrants where there were four corners. And the, the key idea there was that so often our lives get consumed not by what's really important and what we're wanting to devote ourselves to, but rather what is simply urgent, what is right in front of us that seems to take up our days uh, and our nights. And he's describing in it how these urgent situations can overwhelm us if somebody doesn't first set out and determine their priorities and let that guide what they're going to spend their time on rather than the urgent things that seem to pop up day by day by day. And I believe it's become even more important today than it was uh, over 50 years ago when he wrote this because we live in a non-stop culture. I can remember about the time that he wrote this when I was a young boy going out on a Sunday and all the stores were closed. Doesn't that seem quaint and odd? Now everything is nonstop. Everything is constantly connected. We are saturated with media and there are so many things crying out for our attention. And everything seems to be an emergency and according to the media, everything demands all of my attention all the time. If we live in that way, then we're going to be completely dominated by the tyranny of the urgent. But today in this text, we're getting a glimpse of how Jesus responded in a similar situation and what were his priorities and his practices in the face of 
crushing uh, responsibilities and people crying out for his attention. And I want to remind us as we go into this, we've been kind of teasing out this theme a little bit in recent weeks, that disciples are not just those who receive information from their master. They also are learning from the character of their master and being formed in that character. And to do that, it requires they are following the life rhythms, the practices of their master. Without those practices, without that life rhythm, you don't get the character. And without the character, the knowledge doesn't really get affected. So a disciple, a follower in Mark's terms here in Mark chapter 1, because he's not even introduced the word disciple, or an apprentice, as I've been uh, referring to it, need to pay attention to the life rhythms, the priorities, the practices of the master. And we're going to get a kind of a deep dive into some of Jesus's today. Now, I want to remind us, last week in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 34, we saw a day in the life of Jesus. It was one day. In less than 24 hours, we saw, and if you remember, at the beginning of that passage, Jesus gathers with God's people for public worship on the Sabbath. And we saw that was his, that was his practice every week. Jesus always gathered with God's people for worship. But during it, what's new because he has now began his public ministry is he is preaching God's word. And he so powerfully proclaims God's word that people are shocked. Well, in the middle of that, you remember there's a man with a demon who cries out in the middle of the meeting. And Jesus rebukes the demon, tells it to be quiet, and drives the demon out with a word. Jesus then leaves the synagogue while everybody's abuzz, and he goes back to the house where Peter stayed. Remember I showed the photo of it? It's right next door, actually. He goes there, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. So Jesus touches her and heals her. And then at the end of Sabbath, so it's in the next Jewish day, but this has all happened really in about a 12-hour span of time, throngs of people show up at Peter's house and they are bringing everybody who is sick and people who have demons. And Jesus is healing them and driving out many demons. Now, if you picture this, this is an exhausting day. I mean, this is a lot of stuff. I remember in the TV show, The Chosen, where they showed a day of Jesus healing everybody and the disciples are actually back around the campfire doing what the disciples usually are doing which is arguing with one another and completely missing what's actually happening. It's a pretty good portrayal of the disciples. And in the midst of it, Jesus comes back, and he's almost limping. He's so exhausted after a day of caring for people. And the disciples are pretty chagrined because they realize they've been back here stumbling and bubbling and talking about who's the greatest and all of this. And Jesus has actually been out healing and doing real ministry. But he was exhausted at the end of that day. And I think that's a pretty good picture of probably what it was like. It was a full, exhausting day for Jesus. And notice that most of this right up here is Jesus responding to immediate needs. The demon simply manifests in the middle of the meeting, and so Jesus deals with it. He goes back to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law is sick, so he deals with it. That evening, they're sitting around probably right after supper, and suddenly people start showing up, and pretty soon the entire town is at the house and the door, and Jesus is healing the people and driving out demons. These are real needs, and Jesus meets them with compassion. But the question is, how does Jesus respond? Because all of this is very urgent. 
Is that what's going to determine, because this is right at the beginning of his ministry, is that how he's going to live for the next three and a half years? That's what we're getting a picture of today, is Jesus' own priorities and practices. So let's jump into what these are. The first priority and practice we see for Jesus is prayer. Notice Mark 135. So we've had this crowd, and they've all gone home eventually because it's so late at night. But notice in Mark 135, we read, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So it's been a long day of ministry. What might we expect Jesus to do the next morning? Sleep in, right? I mean, that's what we would, that, that's what we would think we're going to do. But notice, he gets up, and Mark here is actually almost cumbersome and surprising in the Greek, which the NIV is trying to capture by saying very early in the morning while it was still dark. It's literally very early in the darkness. Mark's wanting to know, no, the sun is not starting to peep up over the horizon. It's dark. It is night. And at that point, Jesus gets up. And notice we're told that he not only gets up, Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, and he goes off to a solitary place. This won't surprise those who've been here. This is that same word, the Greek word is eremos, that we met way at the beginning that John the Baptist was in the eremos, calling the people to repentance, that Jesus was baptized, and then he went off into the eremos, the, the deserted place, the wilderness. Sometimes it's the desert, but it means this place that is lonely, that is quiet, that is away from the crowds. And so Jesus here gets up and he goes off and he does this so early. Why? Because Jesus is a morning person. Y'all don't think so? My, my wife is definitely saying not so, right? It's not because Jesus is a morning person. Why is he getting up so early? Before anybody can get back there. He's already seen what happened the night before and there's not going to be a replay the next morning. So he gets up before anybody can come, and he not only gets up, notice he doesn't go out back in the house. He, he could have just stayed in the house and prayed, right? Done what we do, which is I'll just lay in bed, Lord, and pray, right? That always goes really well, doesn't it? He gets up, and he gets out, and he gets away from everybody because he's saying, oh, no, 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 they're not going to set my priorities for me. I'm going to get off, and I'm going to get time alone with the Father. And so Jesus is making it a priority to begin his day with quiet, unhurried time with his Father in prayer. Okay, this is, this is what is important to him. And again, I point out to us as his disciples, this is the sinless, eternal Son of God. And he says... I cannot get caught not having spent time doing this. It's impossible, we're going to see, for him to fulfill his ministry if he doesn't begin this way. And I ask, if that is true of the sinless, eternal Son of God, what does that say about sinful, not eternal me? Okay, that's Jesus' practice. Now, Mark is pointing this out, and remember in Mark 1, one of the reasons we've taken so long is because Mark is laying things out, and he's not going to keep saying, and Jesus kept doing it, but he's letting us know this is the pattern. We saw last week Jesus got up and he went to synagogue on Sabbath. Mark doesn't tell us directly that's what Jesus does every Sabbath. Luke did that. 
But Mark is letting us know this is what Jesus does every Sabbath. The same thing happens here. Mark is just recording it this one time to let us know this is what Jesus did all the time. And once again, Luke tells us, actually in Luke 5.16 as he's recording all this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, the Eremos, and did what? Prayed. So what Mark is recording here one time, he's intending us to understand this is the regular practice of Jesus, and Luke actually tells us that. The crowds are gathering, they're coming in, there's all of this going on, and Jesus keeps retreating. Jesus keeps getting out by himself to pray. And so disciples have to learn from the example of Jesus the priority of prayer. And we have to recognize that apart from regular times of communing with the Father, there is no way we will, we will be absolutely impotent to fulfill our callings. Jesus later, in fact, on the night he was betrayed in John's gospel, tells us, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do just a fair amount. What can you do? Nothing. Now let me tell you, you can do a lot of stuff. You can probably get yourself on the cover of a Christian magazine. You just can't do anything of kingdom value. Absolutely nothing is what Jesus says. And so we have to learn from Jesus this priority. Now, he's got his own calling, and I'm going to come back to this, but every one of us have callings. And you cannot fulfill your calling, whatever it is, as a husband or wife, as a parent, as an employee in a company, as a neighbor, as doing something in the community, you cannot fulfill your calling from God apart from being sustained regularly by prayer, okay? And the fact is, prayer takes time. There's no microwaving through it. It's the, the point is, get up early, get by yourself, and spend time with the Father, because that empowers for the rest of the day. In fact, Luther years ago you know, stated that he regularly prayed two hours a day, but when it got really busy, he prayed four hours a day, because he knew he needed extra prayer to get done what was laid before him, not less prayer. Boy, is that opposite of the way we tend to think. So that's the first priority in practice. Secondly, Jesus makes a high priority of the practice of the word. Notice, in verses 36 to 39, I love, I love the way Peter told Mark about the gospel because Peter keeps looking so dumb in this gospel. And here we see another example. So we notice Simon and his companions went to look for him. Now, again, we've just been told, why, why is Jesus not there? Because he's trying to be by himself, right? So the disciples immediately decide to do what? Let's go find him and get with him and they're looking for him and when they find him they exclaim everybody's looking for you now notice here what's going on Peter and the disciples are viewing things from a worldly point of view they're not understanding what Jesus is doing what his priorities are why he's off their priorities in fact are not those of Jesus now one of the things that's interesting where it says Simon and his companions went to look for him the Greek word that's used here for looking is most often translated not only in the scripture but in, in other Greek means to pursue somebody in a hostile sense. It's like an army pursuing their enemies. Okay, Mark's kind of winking at us a little bit and saying 
Their, their pursuit is not a good thing. They're interrupting is what they're doing, okay? You, you got to get that picture. And not only that, notice they say everyone is looking for you. The crowds are looking for you. That particular word says they're searching for you. I was surprised to find this, but as I was studying this passage, it is universally used in Mark's gospel in a negative sense. The closest it comes to positive is in Mark 16, where the women go to the tomb, and the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's the best use of the term. What it's mainly used for is the Pharisees and the chief priests get together, and they're looking for a way to kill Jesus. That's how it's used virtually every other time in the gospel. Mark is again kind of pointing out here what he's saying is the crowd is seeking Jesus, but are they seeking Jesus for what Jesus wants? They're not. And we have to understand this is why this drives Jesus' response. They're there for their own reasons, for their own priorities uh, as, they're doing, as they're doing this. You know, and Jesus is going to later on say, you all are seeking a sign. Same word. You're, you're looking for a sign. But you've got your way that you're expecting me to minister, and that is not what I have come for. And so notice, the disciples are all excited. Jesus, th this is the first church growth recommendation and seminar right here. Jesus, you've got to get back down to the town because it's full of people and they're looking for you. And what's Jesus' response? So we're going to go somewhere else. A bunch of you laughed when I read it, but notice exactly what's going on. If Jesus would have had a church growth consultant there, they'd have been losing their mind. They would have been. And Jesus is just saying, that that's not my priority. That is not what I'm after. Because see, the disciples are saying, obviously, where there's a crowd, that's a sign God's moving. And Jesus is saying that's not necessarily a sign where God's moving at all. That, the question is, are their priorities my priorities? And we're going to see this over and over again in the gospel. And so notice what Jesus says then is, we're going to go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. And make, make no mistake, it's not just that I've come to go to other villages, it's I've come to preach the word. That's what I'm after. You remember in John's gospel, one of the times when he feeds the multitude and they all show up and Jesus says, see, you didn't come to receive the word of God. You came because your belly got filled yesterday. You need to be seeking the true bread, not just the bread. And then pretty soon they're all upset with him, actually. If you go back and you look, and here we see an early glimpse of this exact thing. Jesus is not going to be driven by the agenda of the crowds or the disciples. He knows the priority, and the priority is the study and the proclamation of the Word of God, because only the Word of God can save their souls. And so he is so committed to his calling and his ministry of preaching the word of God, he says, I'm willing to leave Capernaum where there's already the crowds gathering and I'm gonna go to the other villages where I've got a better opportunity to proclaim the word of God. Now, don't misunderstand and don't miss this. Healing and driving out demons is important to Jesus. He's filled with compassion for the suffering and we're gonna see he continues to do this. But even those pale in comparison next to the proclamation of the word of God. And why is that? 
If Jesus drives a demon out of you and you don't receive the word of God, what have you gained? A better life now, same life in eternity. If Jesus heals you of your affliction but you have not received the word of God, then you have not gained eternal life. And so it's imperative that we understand that. Jesus here is saying the greatest need that humans have is to hear and receive God's word. It's more necessary than anything else. Later on, as he's going to multiply the food, it's more necessary than our daily bread. So notice, if you remember in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when Jesus is out in the wilderness, he's already given a glimpse of this, and we, we read about this in Matthew and in Luke, though Mark doesn't expand on it all. But remember when, when Satan says, hey, you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. Turn those stones into bread so you can eat. Now, if you hadn't eaten for 40 days, who thinks food's pretty important at that moment? I mean, let's be honest. If I haven't eaten in 40 minutes, yesterday I was out shopping, and I got to tell you, I was trying to get home because I was like hungry, okay? Had not been, it had only been like three hours, four hours. Jesus has been 40 days. But notice what he says. He says to Satan, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's actually out of the book of Deuteronomy when Israel was getting the manna in the wilderness. And God is saying, look, I'm giving you physical bread, but you need to understand what you really need is the bread of my word. That's what's more important. And that's what Jesus says. In the book of Job, Job, in the midst of his affliction, said, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. And so Jesus here is saying, look, the crowds gather because crowds have their own priority, but my priority is the word of God because the word of God is more necessary than even food. The word of God, to put it in the, in the things that are going on here, is more necessary than being physically healed or even having a demon driven out of you. The word of God is of paramount importance. And so Jesus is not concerned simply with gathering crowds or letting crowds determine his priorities. He's saying, my mission is to proclaim the word of God. And if crowds help do that, awesome. If crowds get in the way of that, I'll pick up and I'll move somewhere else. Because the priority is the proclamation of the word of God. Now, it's not saying here in Mark, he's not telling us that Jesus studied the word. But the reality is, is it possible to preach the word without studying the word? You remember even when he was 12, Jesus amazed the, the teachers with his knowledge of the word of God. And we see throughout that even the, the greatest scholars in Israel keep getting stumped by Jesus because he knows the word, okay? Unless we think coming as the God-man, he didn't get extra divine knowledge. Well, you don't really have to say that's not the way it worked, okay? In the gospels, it's clear he learns just like you and I do. So he's making a regular practice of studying God's word so he can proclaim it. And let me just say in passing, this has huge implications for local churches, for families, and for individuals. If you and I want to be successful at whatever God is calling us to do, if we want to be faithful is the better word, then the word of God has to be central because every other attempt is of little value. It can accomplish little. 
It is, you know, that's why, you know, our tagline for our congregation, we are a biblically based Christ-centered caring community because the Word of God is what is central. Let, let me thank our congregation and say, I am so appreciative that you all want the Word of God. I hear that and see evidence of that regularly, and that is what is imperative. There are, you, you can find all kinds of people that are gathering all kinds of massive crowds out there, and I listen to them, and I cannot figure out for the life of me why thousands of people want to sit there and listen to the drivel that is put forward. And it is drivel. I'm not using too strong a word. Stuff that is not proclaiming the word of God, people telling stories out of their own life, and, all kinds, and they never really seem to get around the word of God. It's not my speaking technique. It is not funny stories I can give you that are going to change you. It is the word of God that will change your life. And so whenever, if, if the Lord leads you somewhere else down the road and you're moving or whatever else and you're looking for a congregation, right up front, are they teaching the word of God? Are they opening it up? Are they explaining it to me? Are they helping me understand? I remind you, even part of our liturgy, if you notice, I begin my teaching each week not with my introduction. I didn't start by saying, hey, there was a book, The Tyranny of the Urgent. Now we're going to read a passage or something similar. What did I begin by doing? Hear now the word of the sovereign and living God. Why? That's what's important. Not what I'm saying, what the word of God says. That's what brings power. Even Jesus, who can drive out a demon with the word, notice every time in this passage it's been, first was his teaching, then was the driving out of demons. First was his teaching, then they talked about how powerful he was in hearing. Here, I'm willing to leave the crowds because I've got to proclaim the word of God. Mark is over and over and over telling us this is what is central even for Jesus. If it is for him, it must be for us as his disciples. Third uh, priority in practice is, again, Jesus makes a high priority of corporate worship. So notice at the beginning and then later in the passage, Mark's got this. In, in Mark 1.21, we saw last week that when it was the Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. In verse 39, we're told he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues, okay, and driving out demons, which means every Sabbath day, where was Jesus? In the synagogue, okay? You, it, it's an easy, gimme question. Okay, Sabbath is coming, where will Jesus be? In the synagogue. That's where he's going to be. It's what he does. He gathers with God's people to preach the word. And so we had seen it in verse 21, and he's giving us a hint in verse 39. Mark's letting us know, all these things I'm telling you, they're not one-offs. This is the regular rhythm. This is the practice of Jesus. This is the way Jesus lives his life. Now, I spoke uh, about this last week some, so I'm not going to belabor it here, but I just want to say to us, if Jesus' regular rhythm and practice was to gather with God's people each week for public corporate worship, disciples follow the rhythm of their master. That's part of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is not someone who's accumulated knowledge about what the master says. It's someone who's actually doing what the master does. That's what it means to be a fully trained disciple. And that's what Jesus did. And so it's the same call 
for us. Because if we're not regularly in prayer and word and gathering with the people of God, we will not be able to fulfill our callings. The urgent will take over, and the more and more and more we work on the urgent, the less and less and less effective we will be not because we're not trying to be effective, but because the very things that empower us to be effective have been cut off. And so notice the last thing that happens here is Mark tells us that Jesus' ministry is an overflow of these priorities and practices. So after he's told us this, Jesus says, hey, we're going away to a different place. And he starts going around and preaching in the synagogues and doing all the works. Then we read in verse 40 to 42 about this man with leprosy who comes forward. And the man with leprosy comes to him and he begs him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So notice, it's not just a, you know, this is a story Mark brings up, but it's on the basis. He's letting us know again. See, Jesus has been spending time with the Father. Jesus has been proclaiming the word of God. Now we're going to see the overflow of that. This comes out of the other. Without the practice there's not going to be the power in ministry. And so notice there that this leper comes up and the leper is just, this is one of many things that go on, but part of why Mark brings this up, there's a couple of things going on here, but one of them is, and to be clear, leprosy can include a whole bunch of skin conditions, even like psoriasis and things like that. But leprosy also include what we know as leprosy. And so as a result, the rabbis actually said healing a leper was as hard as raising the dead. Okay, they, they were like, just people can't do this. It's outside of our abilities to do. But notice this leper comes up, and, and we have to remind ourselves, this is fairly well known, but what's your status if you have leprosy in the ancient world? I mean, right, you're, you're cast out. You're out in the Eremos. You are out in the wilderness. You are out in the deserted places. You're not supposed to come be near people. So the first thing is this guy rushing up towards Jesus. One might expect the reaction, whoa, 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 dude, keep the distance. Okay, but Jesus doesn't do that. This guy is an outcast. And he comes up to Jesus and note Jesus' power. The, the guy has heard about Jesus apparently because remember the word's been spreading. He's got no question Jesus can do it. It's just a question of are you willing to do it? If you are willing, you can make me clean. And notice there we're told that Jesus is filled with compassion and we can see the compassion and how does he actually heal the leper? He touches him. What has this man not felt while he's had leprosy? Touch of any kind. Imagine that if you think of what that would be like. I'm actually, you know, they talk about love languages. One of mine is more, more physical. I tell them, you know, I, I do like being close to her. I, I like being able to touch her. That, that's an important thing. I can't fathom not having human touch in contact, but that's what this man has had. And I don't think in his wildest dreams he expected Jesus to touch him. Maybe he'll speak the word, but Jesus reaches out and he touches the man. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in after hours. And if some of you've got the NIV 2011, you may note that it says he was filled with indignation. I'll go into why they have that 
but you'll have to tune into After Hours to, to hear that. I'll talk about it on Tuesday. But notice, whether it was indignation or compassion, there is compassion in Jesus touching him. This man has not been touched. He, he has been alone. He has been bereft. And then notice, when Jesus touches him and speaks the word, what happens? Immediately, the leprosy is cleansed. I actually read one of the things. I, I read it out loud to, to Linda the other day because I was so irritated. I was reading a commentary, and the person said, well, we know it really wasn't immediately. Like, oh, we do. <laughs> That's funny. Because the people who were there said it was immediately. But I'm sure you know better 2,000 years later. Okay. You're going to answer for killing a tree to print that. Just literally, no. Immediately. Because Mark is pointing out the same thing we saw last week. Again, it's the same thing. He is utterly sovereign. He has power. Do, do we see leprosy healed all the time? No. We also don't see virgins get pregnant. We don't see God take human flesh all the time. It's kind of a one-time thing. Okay? The whole point is Jesus is unique. And so he here shows his sovereign power and he heals the man. But notice again, th this, this is all flowing out of Jesus' time in prayer and in this proclamation of the word. He then has compassion on the man and power flows forth and he heals the man. And so <clears throat> one of the commentators I read that was actually good uh, said this, James Edwards in the Pillar Commentary said, the work of the Son of God is both an inward and an outward work. Jesus cannot extend himself outward in compassion without first attending to the source of his mission and purpose with the Father. And conversely, his oneness with the Father compels him outward in mission. You know what he's saying? It's, it's like a circle. Even Jesus is the Son of God, and that may seem strange. Look, well, Jesus didn't have to, but we read in certain things where Jesus goes into a town and he could only do a few miracles because the people had no faith. Okay? Jesus draws his ability, because remember, he is the, the eternal son of God, but he's also fully human, and he doesn't just walk around whipping out deity all the time. How, where does he receive his power for ministry? From time with the Father. Where do you receive your power for ministry? From time with the Father. Disciples learn from the life rhythms the practices of the master. And then notice, when Jesus spends time with the Father, what does that propel him to do? Back into mission. It's not just, a, see, this is where some of the, you know, monks kind of got it wrong, is we withdraw from the world and we stay withdrawn from the world. No, we withdraw from the world so I can be propelled back into the world. That's the whole goal. That's exactly what is happening. And so that's what he's doing. And so, this also kind of explains them. Because Jesus knows this priority and he knows this rhythm that he needs to keep, this is why it isn't a little bit unusual that when Jesus heals him, let's be honest, if today I was up here and somebody came up with leprosy right now and fell down in front of me and said, Brett, I am, I've been sick with leprosy. Nobody's touched me in decades. But if you want, you can heal me. And I stretched out my hand and touched him and healed him and you all watch the leprosy go away, what would we all rush out of here and do? I mean, we would put it on Facebook, right? I mean, Facebook Live, right? We, we, we would be doing that 6 o'clock news tonight. We, we would be spreading word as far and broad as possible, and I would probably be starting a church growth consultancy. <laughs> right? So, so Jesus is going to do the same thing, right? 
Hey, dude, you go tell everybody. What does he actually say? It's interesting. He sternly warns them, or he sends them away with a strong warning. Don't tell this to anyone. Now, we're going to see this in Mark's gospel. I laugh at some of it. It's like every time Jesus tells people, don't tell somebody about me, what do they do? They go tell. When he tells people to go tell about him, what do we do? We don't. It's like he can't win, okay? <laughs> so let me be clear. You're supposed to tell, okay? You're not this guy. You're supposed to go forth and tell. But this guy is told not to go tell anybody. Why is that? If he goes and tells people, what's going to start happening again? Everybody's going to be crowding around in such a way that Jesus can't do things. And notice it's exactly what happens. The guy runs out. And Jesus tells him, look, I want you to go down and do what you were supposed to do. The funny thing is, you had to go show yourself to a priest and all of that, and they could pronounce you clean. We're already told he's already been clean. Jesus has already done it, but he says, but still go do what the Mosaic law commands because I'm going to have enough problems with these guys over that. I'm telling you, go fulfill the Mosaic command, okay? And don't tell anybody else, just get down there and do it. Well, the guy doesn't. He runs out. We don't know if he does the Mosaic command or not, but he starts to talk freely and spread the news. And as a result, what happens to Jesus? He can't go back into town. He's still out in the Eremos, out in the lonely places. Do you get the irony of this? A leper who was an outcast and could not come into town came to Jesus, and Jesus healed him, and then he won't keep his mouth closed, and so now who's the outcast? Jesus is now the outcast. The leper's walking around free, doing everything he wants. Jesus is stuck outside the city again because the crowds are there. And then Mark even says, and even when he's out in the lonely places now, the people still come to him from everywhere. They are all flocking out to him. So there's huge irony here, but it's also explaining why we're going to see Jesus doing this time and again, because he's trying to say, look, you all have got your own priorities, and every time we start getting this to go, you all are trying to pull me off from what I've actually come to do. So I'm telling you, just be quiet for a moment. Let, let's let this develop the way that it needs to. It explains why Jesus is trying to do what he's doing. And we're going to see this repeated many times in the gospel. And so we may face the same thing in our own lives, and we may face the same thing as a congregation, but we cannot compromise for the sake of crowds and acclaim. We just simply can't do that. We need to be about the priorities and practices of the master. So how do we apply this? And we will come to the Lord's table. Now, the, the question um, for us as we come uh, to applying the word is, do my priorities and practices imitate those of Jesus or the world? Again, keeping in mind, to be a disciple, we're trying to follow Jesus' life rhythm. I want my life and my practices to follow after him. And so this text is showing me what those priorities and practices are and how he's being pressured by the world. And the world's not even conscious. It's not that the world is saying we're trying to stop you from doing what you did. It's just the world's got its own priorities. Okay? And those are understandable. If, if I'm really, really sick and Jesus can heal me, it's understandable that I want to come to him and be healed. If I'm hungry and he can give me food, it's understandable that I want to come for that. But it's still distinct from what Jesus' priority is. And 
This is similar for you and me. We face pressures to let the world set our agenda, our priorities, and our practices. And I again want to be clear, much of this does not even involve overt evil. Okay? These people, it was not that they were asking Jesus to do evil things. It's just that what they were doing, however, was going to end up eclipsing him being able to be with the Father, him being prepared, him being able to proclaim the word, him doing the things that he had really come to do. Now, the same thing happens to us today. The world clamors, and it's working to get you and I to rearrange our priorities, to rearrange our life rhythm, to rearrange our practices to match it. So, if you're a parent, you've got to do this with your children or else their life is going to be ruined. No, it will not. They will survive just fine, just like kids have survived for millennia without those things. What might ruin the child's life is not gathering with God's people for worship and hearing the word of God and being discipled and trained. That might ruin their life. Or we hear that all the stuff we've got to do to be successful. Okay, you've you got to do this. You've got to have this. This is, you know, chasing after the American dream. That all the things we've got to have to have the good life. Now, the fact is, none of these things are bad in themselves. When I was, you know, when my kids were young and we had all the things that the culture was trying to get me to get involved, none of them were evil. Nobody was telling me, hey, come out here and, you know, have your kid peddle drugs on the street corner. That's, that was not what the pressure was. It was just to keep things going so fast that this passage would have read very differently and exhausted, Jesus could spend no time with the Father and therefore very few miracles were happening. That's how the passage would have read. But see, Jesus doesn't do that and as a disciple, we've got to say, I'm not gonna let the world set my agenda. I'm not gonna let the world set my priorities, even if they're good things. I'm going to prioritize the, the life rhythm of Jesus and everything else is gonna fit around it. And if I can't have the life rhythm of Jesus and all of those things, then what drops away? Those things. And when we do, what's the world going to say? It's going to be like the disciples. Hey, you got to get back over here. There's this going on. And we have to be willing to say, mm, that's not what I was sent for. Just, it's okay. I just won't be able to do all of those things. So we have to set clear boundaries that reflect the priorities of the disciples, the rhythms and practice of Jesus, and not allow other things to interfere. So in this text, do I see these key priorities that Jesus displays in this passage? Times of solitude and prayer, devotion to God's word, the study and ministry of the word, and gathering with God's people for worship. Mark is laying these out. This is Jesus' life rhythm. And this is important for us to understand because how many of you have noticed COVID messed up our rhythms, didn't it? It just did. Whether you ever got COVID or anything else, man, we are culturally suffering long COVID. It's continuing on, and everybody's rhythms are messed up. But that gives us an opportunity right now to say, where's my life rhythm? Where are my priorities and practices? 
Am I daily, regularly setting aside a time for solitude and prayer? Is that, is that part of the rhythm of my life? Do I regularly receive and minister God's word to those around me? Is the word of God more important to me than my daily bread, to use the word of Job? Do I realize that I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God? And how often am I gathering with God's people for corporate worship? Now, now hear me, and I, and I don't want, this is not about condemnation for any of us, okay, because that doesn't accomplish anything. It is about us being open and saying, Lord, I want to be discipled. I want you to form me into your image, and that includes these life rhythms. But on the flip side, I also want to say, we have to recognize my practices show my priorities, you could know nothing about me, never hear a word out of my mouth. Just follow me around for a week and you will know my priorities. What do I do? How do I know what Jesus' priorities are in this passage? Well, it's what he did. He got up the next morning and went out and found a place and a time to pray. That shows what his priority is. That's what he's really interested in. So it doesn't matter what I say my priorities are. My practices and life rhythms show my actual priorities. And now again, this is not guilt and condemnation. Don't let the enemy do that. But it is for an accurate assessment so I can let the Spirit form me in this area. You know, I, I've had to, I had to go back for another doctor's appointment this week because when I went in a couple of months ago for my 61-year-old checkup, they, my cholesterol had reached a certain level, okay? Now, I don't like that, but I'm discovering the glories of eating a lot of salad now, okay? Because the doctor looked and said, so what's your, what's your physical workout routine like? And I told him, he's like, okay, we're not going to add to that. You're clearly doing enough of that we got to look at diet stuff, okay? That's not about condemnation. That's about me saying, okay, this is an assessment. This is where we're at. All, all, the, all the blood test does is say this is what's actually in your blood. So we're letting the Holy Spirit this morning say, what are my actual priorities? Well, what are my practices? What does my life rhythm look like? And I want to encourage you to see your ability to fulfill your vocations flows from this. This is why it's so important. See, you're not called, thankfully, nor am I, to be Savior of the world. Okay, that was Jesus's, right? As Greg accurately prayed this morning, I'm not going to be able to justify anybody. It's not my calling. But I do have a calling to be a shepherd here. And I have a calling to be a husband and a father and a grandfather. And I've got a calling to be a, a next-door neighbor to my neighbors you know, a son to my parents. So I have these vocations. Where am I going to be empowered to fulfill those vocations? By this life rhythm. And if I cut myself off from the life rhythm, if the urgent comes in and tyrannizes, what I'm going to find is I'm no longer able to actually fulfill the very vocations that I'm saying I'm trying to do. So, and, and my wife could testify this, bad thing for her is if I'm not getting time alone with God right? For my children, it was that way. They, I need to be with the Father so that I can adequately do it. So do each of us. So I want to encourage you, as we're heading into Advent and New Year, 
not just this morning, but as we're doing this, as we're going to come to the Lord's table in a minute, let the Holy Spirit search. And maybe this is a time after long COVID to say, Lord, where is my life rhythm off? Where did it get knocked aside? Because some of you may even say, you know what, wow, I would have answered this very differently two years ago than I do now. Well, the good news is the Holy Spirit is powerful. And he can work us to do that. So it's not about condemnation. It's about us being able to receive from the Lord and to be formed into his image. Now, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And as we do in that light, I want to remind you, we saw some good news there at the end of the passage. See, this is a table of cleansing and restoration. And you and I come And we come before the Lord, and maybe the Holy Spirit's working and speaking to you right now, and you're like, boy, my practices show some out-of-whack priorities. Okay, well, here's the good news. A leper can come before Jesus, and he doesn't put us away. In fact, we can come before him unclean, and he touches us, and he cleanses us, and he restores us. And that's why we come to the Lord's table. And so we're going to come here, and if the Spirit has spoken and brought something to your mind regarding life rhythms, then this is where we come and we say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Lord, if you're willing, empower me so that I, so, so that I can change this, Lord. I, I don't want to continue living by other priorities. I want to live by the priorities you're laying before me. And so let's let the Lord speak and work to us in that way. If you're a visitor here, you are welcome to come to the Lord's table. You simply need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. That means that you are trusting exactly what we're saying. No one else can save you. No one else can forgive your sins. No one else can cleanse you, but he can. If you understand that, know that, believe that gospel, you are welcome to come to the table with us. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So brothers and sisters, let's go ahead and you can get ready with the bread. And we're going to take just a moment, as we are each week, to let the Holy Spirit speak. And if there's any area, and if we're open, we all need the Lord to be working in our life rhythm. Where is that? We're going to come before the Lord. Lord, when we were full of sin, unclean and unworthy of anything but judgment and banishment from your presence, you came to heal and restore us taking our very flesh and nature to yourself, becoming fully human so that we might be restored as sons and daughters of God. 
So we take this bread and we give you thanks for this great salvation and we receive the sacramental bread in faith. Take and eat. Lord, when you took our flesh and nature to yourself, you were fully obedient, the perfectly righteous Son of Man. Your every thought, word, and deed expressed the heartbeat of the Father. And yet, to heal and restore us, you took our sin to yourself, bearing our penalty upon the cross. And by that sacrifice, we have been cleansed, healed, and fully restored. You have taken our sin and given us your righteousness. And so we give you thanks for this great salvation and we receive this sacramental cup in faith. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. And let's stand together and pray together and then receive God's blessing. Lord, through your touch, we have been healed. We have been restored in relationship with you, with creation, with one another, and even with ourselves. This week, Lord, we ask that you would help us to live as the restored sons and daughters of God. By the power of your Spirit, may we live as faithful followers of Jesus so that our thoughts are his thoughts and that our desires are his desires and so that our life rhythm is patterned after his. And Lord, as we do that, we ask that we would be your very hands and feet, going where you will and spreading your healing touch to all those who we meet. Lord, we ask that you would empower us and fill us fresh and anew with your Holy Spirit so that we might be faithful followers of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. And now may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, having the eyes of your heart enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for every one of us who believe. Go forth filled with his blessing to walk with him and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.